Hello, this is Black Country Blokes Chewing the Fat. Listen, listen, listen. I've been hearing a lot lately about men don't talk. But in my experience, men do talk, just people aren't listening. So it's going to be me and a group of blokes discussing our struggles and victories through life. Warning, there may be some bad language, so apologies to all the moms, especially on my own. Let's get going. Listen, listen, listen. Hi, I've your gang. This is Black Central Blokes, during the fast. Me, Kev Dillon, Lee Cadman, Craig Finches. Now, there's a slight change to the plan today. We're supposed to be having Dan Browning coming on, but for private reasons, he can't come on, so sending all my love to you, Dan. Now, if anyone would like to listen to Dan Browning, he come on the show previously in the year, so you can find his episode on YouTube. But he gave me a phone number for Stuart Bratt, who is the founder of Tough Enough to Care. So thank you, Stuart, for coming on. No problem. All, all right, we're all good, thank you. Now, it started in 2019 uh, in the March. Would you like to tell people a bit about what you do? Um, I think Dan went over the... Uh the bare bones of sort of why we started and stuff like that. But just to briefly recap, uh, it came about from losing two friends to suicide within four days of each other. Um, and we decided something needed to be done. So started a bit of a Facebook page and then that rolled into us doing um, campaigns with beer mats uh, out to the pubs of which, oh look, there's one I made earlier. One of those <laughs> with, uh, positive messages on and things like that. There you go. And uh, it's a campaigns like that. And then we've started doing our own support groups uh, online at the minute and face to face when lockdown restrictions allow. And it's just that the whole movement campaign, now registered charity, the whole idea of it is just to break down the stigma that surrounds male mental health as a topic and a subject, just to provide the positivity and, and a safe place for blokes to talk because. I know you meant when you were talking to Dan and a lot of your podcasts, the guys that you have on, it seems to be that blokes will talk, but they don't really talk about anything in particular. And they're always kind of skirting around the issue. And it's just to say hard facts and just go, right, if you're struggling, just talk to me, pick up the phone, let's go for a coffee, let's do it. Well, when I uh, went on my um, mental health awareness uh, course, it amazes me, 75% of suicide is us blokes. Because I know women are on the uprise all of a sudden. But as you said, women will talk about everything and anything. Blokes, you're right, Stu. I'm all right. We're inside. He's dying inside. Because he's got that that, steg, uh, that stigma, is that the word? Where if I tell you I'm hurting, I go home and I have a belly full. It's that man up, oh, build a bridge and get over it, princess. Whereas really, all we need is to be heard. Not for you to give the answer, but for you to listen. That's it. I mean, we say to everybody, we, we're not professionals. I am just your everyday bloke. And I'm from a rugby background from, I think, the day I was born. Before I went home, I was took to the rugby club and had my dummy dipped in some whiskey or something. <laughs> I've grown up down a rugby club. I've been in the forces. Uh, since I've left the forces, I've been in male-dominated environments, construction industries, working in um, sort of like the food manufacturing industries on the technical side. It's always engineered. It's blokes. And again, you, the places that you can't go to work or to rugby or the gym and say, I'm struggling. But you look at the numbers, blokes need it. 
more than anybody at the minute. Um, and it's it's certainly changed. Since doing this, it's, it's changed my life because mm. I decided that something had to be done for other people. And then I've realised, fucking hell, actually, talking about it's helped me and I didn't even think I had a problem. Well, we've talked about it on this show because I can get to very dark places and I'll, I'll go somewhere and then I'll have a phone call saying, Kev, look, my missus left me, and I can snap out my own problem to help them. But don't get me wrong, as soon as I put the phone down, I'm back in it. Yeah. But it's nice to have that escape for five minutes as well, though, isn't it? Well, that's why this podcast has done me the world of good. It's, you know, just to, no matter what my day is like, I can switch off from Kev and just become the Black Country folks. Yeah. I, I completely agree with you. It's exactly what I do. Um since all this has happened, I've, I've been furloughed and I've gone, I'm sure this will be the same for a lot of blokes out there. I've gone from a breadwinner, I'm going out doing the blokey thing, I'm out at half five in the morning, back, sweaty, greasy, dirty from a day's graft, go down the pub on a Friday. And all of a sudden, my life stresses have completely changed. I've been furloughed. The missus is still working from home. So I'm full-time caretaker, housekeeper, chef and homeschooler. and don't get me wrong um everybody thinks oh you know love to spend all day at home with the kids it it affects you differently mentally and the biggest pressure we're also facing is tough enough is our bread and butter is coming to guys like you and having a sit down a chat a cup of tea doing our support groups having guys sat around having a brew and having a chat going to do workplace drop-in sessions and all that good behavior and it's just a, it's a different kettle of fish when you're trying to do it on a, on a video chat. We've tried it a few times now, and it's, like you said at the start, it's not the same as being in a room with a bloke, is it? So it's all the stress. And it's, again, it adds to my stress that I can't get out there to help as many people. And when you've come so far, it's hard then, isn't it? Because I know a lot of my close personal friends have got mental health. And they say, like, when they've got to have a meeting with Mind or um, uh, the mental health industry, they'll they'll have a phone call and they say, but Kev, the only person I could talk to on the phone is you because I get so anxious. And because of the virus going on, they haven't been able to go to an office or they haven't been able to because so I've stopped phoning. And if they're not phoning, they've got all these problems. Are they taking their medication? It's the other thing as well, isn't it? You know, everyone says it's the taking the, and it's true, taking the first step is the bravest and best step you'll ever make to seek help and, and reach out. And again, you don't want to phone and just be a, another voice at the end of the phone. You want to go and if you've plucked up, if you've got the balls to do it, finally plucked up the courage to do it and go to see your GP, it's the, you, you don't want to go and see the GP, do you? You don't want to go into the, the doctors. You don't want to, again, make, appointments with people so the the worry there is that guys that really need the help aren't getting it as well well if you, it's taking all that courage to knock on the door and then no one answers eventually you stop knocking don't you <laughs> yeah i think but the proof you- is in the pudding as well isn't it we we had uh, marcus on who who runs the black country in warsaw mental health um and he was saying he's experienced a massive drop off in referrals and everything because everyone's just in that fear of not contacting the NHS for any reason whatsoever. So, you know, the proof's there that people are not contacting like they used to. Um, 
maybe it is just because they know they won't get face-to-face -face appointment. Maybe it is they just don't want to take any resources up at the moment. I think it's a it's a whole myriad of things, isn't it? Like it it's not wanting to take up the resources. I certainly wouldn't. If I was injured or ill or something, I'd really sort of push it to my limit before I actually went to the doctors or the, the hospital now. Whereas before, you might go a little bit sooner for anything. And we've seen, we thought as soon as lockdown came in, we'd see a massive upsurge in people contacting us for help and stuff like that. It's almost like everyone just went underground. There was the, the fear of God was put into them. And anyone that was already struggling with anxiety, you watch the news every day, fucking hell, ain't going to make it better, is it? What do you find, in my experience, the first two weeks, three weeks, I phoned up everyone on my phone. How are you? How are you? And then, after, like, the last couple of weeks, I phoned the same five or six people. Because sometimes you phone someone and go, how am you, Kev? I'm bloody terrible. They go, oh, all right then. And then because you're a bit fragile, it's hard to carry it. Yeah. And I think some of these people, like you phone up once again, how are you, Kev? I'm all right. I promise you I'm all right. But you, can't, you because we're not face-to-face, -face, you, you just don't look yourself, bruv. Are you, are you sure you're okay? That's it. If you, if you are just on the end of the phone, you can, see, you can see into someone's eyes, can't you, whether you need to ask that second question, you know, are you really all right? And what you said earlier, I think, was bang on because um, so many people I identify with, like you, you're the breadwinner, you're the man, you're the the brickie, you're the boxing coach, whatever. And when that's taken away, it's like someone's taken away your identity. It's I'm now, and there's nothing wrong with this, full-time daddy, full-time mommy. But when it's thrust upon you and there's no fault of your own, and normally when we get stressed, my little girl, your little girl, whatever, you can get in the booze, you can go to the gym, you can go somewhere. But when you are put in that house or that flat or wherever it is, and there's no escape, the littlest things can get under your skin. Yeah, it's cabin fever as well, isn't it? There's no, at the minute, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. So for me, I love going for a beer on a weekend. I, I live for Saturdays down the rugby club and stuff like that. If I'm having a shit day on a Monday, Tuesday, every day is just one step closer to even just having a day off from everything and going out, taking the kids over the park or something with yeah. no repercussions. Like you, we were talking before we come on, you know, everyone's sort of, everyone's watching your every move now, aren't they? And all, oh, what's he doing out? I bet they're not from the same family and blah, blah, blah. It's, it, it doesn't seem to be a light at the end of the tunnel. So it's, there's no I'm process to sort of work towards, you know, it's just an ongoing process. And when's it, when's it going to end? Well, I think that's it. Like, if you're doing a sentence and they go, well, on July 1st, you're free. But I can't see there being a VE day of this where you go, on this day, we're going to have street parties and this will always be remembered. I think it'll be a gradual, gradual, gradual uh, thing. It's like, I think what they've done is like, you know, you have a driving, uh, driving limit, speed limit, 70 miles an hour. When you're on the motorway, you go 90 miles an hour. Everyone's, they give you a line knowing you're going to push the line a little bit further. And yeah. I think that's what they're doing on purpose. They're giving us something knowing we can only go and see your mom or your dad, but they live in the same age, so you go and see your mom and your dad. And I think they're doing that because they don't want to say, all right, then you go and see your family, because then you have your cousins, your aunties, your uncles, and you're having a big barbecue. Or Auntie Pam, she's not my real auntie, but I call her an auntie, so we'll go and see her as well. So I think they've yeah, given us just enough so we'll go down Beg your pardon, sorry. Everyone's trying to find the loopholes, aren't they? Every time they 
release one part of the lockdown or whatever, it's oh yeah because me my brother's auntie's budgie wore socks on a Tuesday. I can do that, so I'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it is. But I mean, I think this is why your groups are so important. But I think we've got to try and keep them going because when we get back to the new normal. I think this is just the tip of the iceberg with mental health because the people who've been furloughed and have been on 80% of the wage and then they go back or the people who've been furloughed that long and then they haven't got a job or someone who's had so many credit cards and he, he, he's got himself into that much debt, then it's, well, what do I do now? Yeah, I, I, did, um, who was it for? I did a radio interview the other day for BBC Hereford and Worcester. Um, and they said to me, then they said how do you think this is going to affect like, the whole COVID and everything? How is it going to affect everybody in the long run? And I said to him, I said, you've seen nothing yet. It's it's not going to affect everybody, but the people that it does affect, it, it, it could. it's going to be like combat PTSD. It could mm. be three, four, five years down the, down the line when the key workers, the doctors, the nurses, the paramedics and people like, the, the, you know, the carers, finally get a chance to stop, take a breather and take stock of what's just happened. And all of a sudden, I think there's going to be a huge spike in mental health support needed. Um, and it's what I just hope that the government seems to be helping everybody out at the minute. You know, if you're self-employed, there's a scheme well, for most of you, if, if you qualify, um, the, the furlough scheme, it's never been seen before and all that sort of support that's there. I just really hope that they've got a provision in mind for a five, ten-year plan for mental health support across every network in the country, whether you're a key worker or not, whether you sat around in your pants for three months doing nothing whilst this was going. It's going to affect people in different ways, and it's just hopefully they'll be there ready to react. <laughs> is that a volunteer well, for sitting in his pants? But the thing <laughs> is, like, I know we're just about to throw the teachers under the bus, but we've we've um, uh, our pupils but as you said like the key workers but then we've got like the bin Mundy, the people who work in the supermarkets but then as you said the people who are sitting at home the nannies the granddads who are thinking well I can't go and see the only thing gives me, gives me light in my life yeah. and you know when you're lonely it's such a horrible thing and I, I think I look at I'm now I've got my wife my daughter in the house but if this had been me 10 years ago in my, in my one-bedroom council flat. Oh, God, I'd like to think what it would have been like. I say, it, it's going to, like I say, it's going to affect different people in different ways, but like we were, again, we were talking about before we came on, people are getting scrutinised for going out to the shops, for doing this, for doing that, for whatever their reasons are. When we come out the end of this, I really hope there's not um, an attitude of, well, why are you struggling from this? Because I've been out working every day and doing this, doing that. You've just been sitting around doing uh, nothing. And sometimes it's better. For some people, it's better to have to go to work because they're escaping their own head or they're escaping and not a very nice household. That's the other thing. There's, you look at the stats on that, there's been massive increases in domestic abuse. And... That's the one thing I will say. I'm, I'm happy about some of the schools um, going back. If there's a chance that if 
if kids are in a an abusive household or something like that, it, it gets them out of there. But for me and my opinion, and not from tough enough, it's this is my personal opinion. Unless there's a serious reason for your kids to need to go back to school, keep them at home. Well, we discussed that, and this is once again, this is my opinion. You know what I mean? Me and my wife's. But like my daughter could go back next week, and I we have chose me and my wife decided not to send her back. She, she's in reception. She's one of the very youngest in reception. And I thought, for the sake of what I can teach her, little bits of maths, bit of English, lots of playing with daddy and mommy, because we'll never get this time back, hopefully. And I thought, why do I want to jeopardise potentially her health and the teacher's health? And I'd rather wait until September. Hopefully things have been put in place. People know how to react more, because at her age, how can you say, Kev, don't go play with Lee. Don't go play with Craig. Don't go play with... And the children, all they want to do is engage. Yeah. You see, I don't know how true it is, but you see some of these photos coming from France and Spain and the kids are putting two-metre boxes in the playground and they can't leave the box. And it's, it's like torture. It's, it's like well, sticking a point two metres away from me and saying, right, you can look at it, but you can't touch it. And what would you do? You'd go and have a... Whenever the teacher's not looking, you'd go and have a quick sip. Yeah. <laughs> you go, warm was him. <laughs> coronavirus is over there. Bosh, gone. <laughs> have, Craig, have you got any questions but, for Stu? No, I was, I was just thinking back to, like, um, in regards to the restrictions imposed and how very inefficient they are anyway at face value and how very... Like you say, you can take the kids to school but you can only do reception and year one and year six. And I understand it's to keep traffic down and it's to keep, you know, the groups of people down. But if you've got three children or two children from separate homes that I'm doing separate things, that's already an equation that shouldn't be happening during a restrictive process. You know, so it makes no difference if you've got 50 children in there and I understand that people are going to say yes but the ratio you know, probabilities and possibilities it's more probable it's going to happen but it's possible to happen with two children from the, the separate thing so what's any different to me like you said before if we're all isolating so I've been isolating what's different me going to my mom and dad's who's been isolating you know and, and I think people need directives they, they need to be um, this is the rules, you don't step outside of this, because other than arguing about, oh, if you need to, then do, and if you don't, people will draw their own conclusion on what they need in life and what they don't need. Yeah, I, I think that's right, and I think because the line's been so murky, I think it's brilliant the school's been open for the key workers and domestic abuse and whatever. But I, I feel like it is a, a, just a massive ploy to get everything running again. And I think I would rather sacrifice my good eye or my cock and balls than my daughter. Hmm. What's yeah. your thoughts? What's your thoughts? If you look at my two kids, I definitely don't need my cock and balls anymore because I don't have them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, ever since I've jazzed me, I've slept in the airing cupboard. <laughs> 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 I, I heard someone say the other day, um, and it really hit home to me. And they just said, "My kids aren't guinea pigs." Yeah, I thought yeah, that's 
the long and short of it, yeah, they're trying to get things going again. They're trying to open things up. But at six years old, there ain't going to be much more he can learn at school than at home. And the biggest problem we'd have is I'm still furloughed, but if we sent the eldest to school, it's not fair to leave the youngest at home because the eldest mm -hmm. is the youngest at home being able to play all day, but the youngest will miss his brother. So we'd then be toyed with the, toying with the idea of sending him to nursery, but that's six, you know, that's six, 700 quid a month that at the minute I'm on, I'm furloughed. I 80% of my basic, not my overtime and bonus. So I'm at the, without paying the childcare, we sort of even keel at the minute. But if we were to put him back in nursery, that's me financially screwed for the next two, three months. So there's no, for me, it's a no-brainer. He ain't going back. Because if, if, if they can't both go back safely, like you said, I'd give anything to keep my kids safe. And if it means a few more grey hairs and stress at home, I'll take it. Nothing's been, um, you know, we, we all speculate, don't we, on this side and the other and Everything's speculative, you know, it's caught everyone off guard. But in regards to the government and not having any plans together, you know, I believe they should have had some kind of contingency in place for a pandemic. Regardless of what the pandemic is, there should have been, you know, some kind of enter and exit strategy, you know, in case of a pandemic. And it seems like there's none. And like you say, everyone's everyone's relying on guidance because a lot of people need guidance. So what, what do you do for the best? And as you say, because you're furloughed, you, you've got no overtime rate, no nothing. You've probably, you know, you've still got to pay your bills out of that, but you're 20% down, you know, and it, it, it's a tough one. So is there an exit strategy? Because I, I don't, if I'm honest, I'll stop following it all. Um, I've done the all, same. A load I've, of balls uh... to me. <laughs> I probably stopped watching the evening briefs about two or three weeks ago. It's just, it's just negative news after negative news, isn't it? And like we said before, there's no set end date or end goal to it. So it's almost like there's always a carrot dangling. They've got these things yeah. set out, but all it takes is one little spike. You know, look, you look at the pictures from the beaches this weekend. Yeah. If that causes a spike in the next two weeks, we're all back to phase one again. So there's no point thinking, oh, we might be able to go on holiday in September. If everyone keeps doing it, you could you could be like this till December. You could be like this next this time next year, couldn't you? I think it's yeah. hard enough to get someone staying once, but then say, all right, then you've done your 10 weeks. Now you're laid back out. You're laid to make a bit of crust and then go, oh, no, you've got to go, go back in. Now that's when it's going to be tough, when you've got to get someone to go back in for another couple of months. That's it. I've got to say, for all my my opinions and stuff like that, I think on the whole, I'm not political, um, but I think they've done a pretty bang up job. On you know, there's always going to be people that fall through the cracks of any plan. Um, there are people that are going to be hit a lot harder than others, and for them, I am truly sorry for them. But I think, in terms yeah. of something that has just crept up on them and just gone in Bosher, we're here. I think they've done pretty well as a knee-jerk reaction to try and help people. Could I just come back to something that Craig said, because it just popped into me. Yeah. I've talked to one of my friends who's a headmaster, and we were saying, like you're saying, like, if we're lucky, you know, um, no, if we're lucky, at the moment we could 
we could uh, get reception year one. We could get three years in, but only those three years at safe distancing. So they couldn't have, like, say, like, how many, 30 in a class? And then there's, like, I don't know, let's, let's say 500 kids in a school. But when I remember school, I remember it all being, I'm sat here, he sat there. So how could they spread the children out for a whole year, for a whole school, sorry? It's impossible. I, I can't see them having that many people go back, if I'm honest. Every, everyone I've spoken to personally have all agreed with me, well, not agreed with me, but sort of had the same kind of idea and just said, well, if I'm stuck at home, if I'm furloughed or if I'm working from home, what's the point in sending them? Yeah. And as much as they can do you ready, at the same time, they keep you sane, don't they? Because you've got to be strong for your children. Well, that's it. I actually said to my missus, you've hit the nail on the head there, said to my missus at the weekend, um, they were running around doing my tits in. But I just said, if the kids weren't at home, if they were still at school and I was furloughed, I'd be a mess. I'd, li- I'd just be sat on the sofa every day and you've just got no drive you've got no get up and go whereas now I know that in the morning I've got to be up and have the kids ready dressed for school um, before the missus starts work upstairs so I can get them downstairs and it's it's that tiny little schedules and a, a timetable and stuff and that's what we what we say to people that contact us that are struggling with sort of depression and anxiety if they can't leave the house and stuff it's just have a little schedule, just have a couple of things a day, just mini goals, you know, um, just to just to keep you ticking over so you don't just sit there and do nothing all day. And then at the end of the day, you look back and go, oh, there's another day wasted. I haven't done anything. It just compounds the, the, the depression of, you know, the, the feelings of depression, you know, you're a failure and, and things like this. When you get to the end of a day and think, oh, I've not achieved anything, it, it's not good for you. I was going well, to say, is that something that um, for you too, like, so as people can take something away from this? Because I know Aaron, who, like, he's not on, he, he usually likes people to take something tangible away from our speaks. Um, so, what if you were to offer advice, obviously, to set yourself little routines and plans, is there anything else that you'd advise for people to um, get over this or get through this, per se? I'm actually really glad you asked me that. There's, there's something, there's a video I saw, um, the video's years old, but I, I got shown it about three or four months ago and I've revisited it in the last couple of weeks and I've actually said it, sent it to a few people and said, look, if you're struggling, just watch this and it, you'll laugh, but the, the basis of it is, and I, I got it earlier, um, it's by William McRaven, he's um, an ex-US Navy SEAL captain and he was doing one of these commencement speeches i think it was the university of texas you know where they have them all you find tons of them on youtube like jim carrey and people and that yeah done. i've seen it and he's wearing white is he white hat that's the badger yeah. yeah um the entire speech is about 40 minutes long but there's one it's like a six minute segment you can find if you just type in um making your bed speech u.s navy seal on youtube you'll find it straight away but he's the one bit of his speech is If you make your bed every morning, you'll have accomplished the first task of the day. It will give you a small sense of pride and it will encourage you to do another task and another and another. By the end of the day, that one small task completed will have turned into many tasks completed. Making your bed will also reinforce the fact that little things in life matter. If you can't do the little things right, you'll never be able to do the big things right. 
And if by chance you have a miserable day, you'll still go out to a bed that's made, that you made, and a made bed gives you an encouragement that tomorrow will be better. And it's such a but, simple theory, but, you know, I've got, it's sad now, I'll get goosebumps reading it. Mm. It's just one of those ideas that you think yeah. start off with tiny little victories and they'll grow. And then the next day, you make your bed and make yourself some breakfast. It's sort of like, you know, when you say that, I just imagine like Triple P, you know, like positive, um, positive pre-programming. It's kind of like that. Like you say, you're making the bed. I'll make the bed on the morning. Um, sometimes, I don't know if you guys heard that then. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I'll make the bed on the morning and open the curtains and the blinds. And like you say, even if I wanted to leave it now, I can't because I'm in the habit now of making it. If if I'm the last out of the bed, if you know, if my partner is she makes it. Um, but like you say, there is like a little sense of pride in. And at the end of the day, even if you have a shit day, you're going to get in a nice cosy bed that's that's already made up. So that's, that's good advice. And the quote that I love the most. It's okay. Yeah, you might not. It might seem like nothing in the morning to you, but if 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 you wake up positively, make the bed. And from that moment on, your day goes south and everything just turns to rat shit. At the end of the day, you're not coming home to a mess. You're coming home to a freshly made bed and you can you can start again. You can reset the clock and go again tomorrow. I've just added the, um, the YouTube link in the banner below. So if anyone does want to go and have a look at that video that Stu's on about, there it is. And I'll also add it to the, to the right at the end in the description. I'll tell you what, he's good, isn't he? Oh, well. That's it. I'm the boy. He's the brains, and uh, Craig's the eye candy. <laughs> I, I'm good. No, because I feel like I'm conning the people out of the time and effort now. <laughs> I could be the joke. <laughs> Not the joke. The, the the joke. I'll be the joke. <laughs> Have we had any comments, lads? We we have. I did put it up on screen. Um, it's about Dan's uh, about Stu's hair, to be quite honest. So I'll put it back up there now for everyone to read again. Oh no, it's it's from Tough Enough to Care, and it's saying, "Hi, gents. Sorry I couldn't come, but Stu wanted to show off his big hair." Uh, oh, it's, it's funny, Dan's <laughs> who uh, comment is tough enough to care, and not himself again. He usually <laughs> does that on the. We'll, we'll, I'll get a like through on my phone. Why someone likes my comment? And Dan will have put a comment on. Oh, I'll buy that, please, on a sales and wants page. But he's done it as tough enough to care. On about hairdos and all this. I mean, look at me. I look like bloody Captain Caveman. I've got curly hair, no shape. And I think I'm in isolation. Yeah, I'm doing my videos every day and everything. But who really gives a kipper's dick? You know, on how we look and. Like my friend who's a barber and he's saying, people are phoning him up saying, can I come? To, can you come to my house and cut my hair for, I'll give you 80 quid. And I'm thinking, is vanity worth endangering your family or his family? And I think, who cares now? We should be at that stage. I'm surprised they haven't, you know, you do Movember. I'm surprised they haven't done like, like a lockdown beard or some blood and everyone who gets a beard has to donate a fiver to a mental health or took enough to care. So I want, I want to set up like a bit of a fundraiser, a bit of a party. I'll after... be honest. Like, go on, Craig. 
Go on, Stu, you're the guest, mate. I'm sorry, mate. There's a bloody delay in this, this thing, isn't that? Yeah, you carry on, mate. I want to do like a, an after lockdown rock down a party where everyone goes out to the pub or wherever before they go to the barber, before they go and get the Botox top up, the, the fake tans, the, the, you know, the waxing strips and everything. Just turn up <laughs> in what you've worn every day for the last three weeks, which, which for me is flip-flops, cargo shorts and a Buffy Not To Care t-shirt. <laughs> and all just rock up and just see what, how everyone's spent the last three months. Because it's vanity, you know, and it's, um, especially with Instagram, Facebook and all these things. But I, I say to people, well, people say, oh, for God's sake, Kim, go and have an haircut, shave your beard up with I'll give my wife enough reasons to divorce me. I think having a bit of a long hair and a beard, I ain't going to push her over the edge. <laughs> Can I ask you, Stu, um, at the moment, I feel like your group could probably go ahead with everything else that's going on because, you know, we're seeing people going out to offices and doing all that. So with a group like yours, you could quite easily keep two people two metres apart and keep the group going. You know, it's considering people are going out to work all the time and being in that, in that you know, is it, it, it's going to – and you're doing something that's going to help people. So how do you feel about that? Oh. I've been torn since day one. Um, we were going to offer our services to go and do like drop-in sessions for NHS staff and things like that. And then we, we shit-can that idea because we, we're told to sort of stay at home and isolate and keep everybody else safe. And then us rocking up there kind of has a negative ne- negative effect on it all. Um, and not to general, not not to sort of pinpoint any certain people that come to our groups or anything like that but you might have guys that have got severe anxiety and to put a group it's hard to explain I wouldn't want to put a group on um, that might be if we find a loophole of a way of doing it but for someone to really want to come but find that but not be able to come if that makes sense Mm. Um, and it's a a fine line I, I wouldn't want to be seen to go against any government guidelines. And I, I don't really want to give the critics a chance to kind of hammer us and put, yeah. shine a bad light on something positive that we're doing. Uh, like mm. I said, we have, we have tried, we have toyed with the ideas. We've set up, uh, we did our first one last night, an online support group, and we had a few guys tune in. Um, and that and it was a success. It was a bit strange, hard, because again, it wasn't face-to-face and you don't know who's listening in the background of anyone else's call. Um, but yeah, to, to go back to your question, I would like to, and if I could find a way that would ensure everybody's safety, I'd do it tomorrow. I would, I would set up a meeting, and anyone would, as always, anybody's welcome. It's free of charge. But I just think at the mo- in the moment, there's so much uncertainty. I wouldn't want to think I'm doing something right and end up putting somebody in danger. If that makes any sense at all. Yeah, yeah. It just, I think it's um, you've got to follow government guidelines. I think I was asking more of a general, you know, that if we can if we can send people into offices doing that, why why we why can't we send people to somewhere that's going to help? But it, oh, it you know it yeah, is uh, yeah. If the government said tomorrow we could do it, we'd do it. Yeah, yeah. Because you could do it. I think I feel. I mean, I've I've not been to one of your groups, but I feel you could actually. Most people there, if you said, look, you sit on that chair there and you sit on that one there that's two metres apart, 
they're gonna they're gonna abide by that. You know, it's it's quite easy to do in that sense, isn't it? Yeah. Well, we have ordered, we've pre-ordered. In fact, they should be here this week or the start of next. Um, a hundred face masks, some tough enough to care fabric face masks. So, as soon as we get the green light, because I know I noticed today, I think Australia have gone on to phase two. I think it was Australia, um, and they're now allowing social gatherings outside of twenty people. So if we could find a quiet private park or you know, something, we could do it. And then if we have the face masks there for the guys as an added extra bit of um, protection, again, we would do it. We'd, we'd be there tomorrow. Yeah, no, that's great. It's good to hear. Hopefully you're up and running soon. Hopefully. Like I say, we're going we're gonna to push the online support groups, but it, it's the face-to-face ones where you really sort of feel like you're making a difference and going into the workplaces and talking to people, educating as well as supporting. Yeah. Well, mate, we're going to finish in a bit, but where's the best ways that people can find you and your group? Uh, best one is Facebook. Just type in Tough Enough to Care. Uh, you'll find our page there. Um, we've also got Tough Enough to Care Hub, which is a bit of an online sort of peer-to-peer network. On the page and the, the hub, you've got members from all over the world. So if you post on there that you're struggling and need to talk, if one of the team members don't pick up a comment, there's someone watching the page 24-7 around the globe. And we've, we've actually got counsellors and stuff like that who can offer their own support and advice on there. Nothing to do with us. They just follow the page and they help people. Um, we've got a website on crappy technology, so it's not updated very often. But... The most, the most up-to-date places would be Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Well, brilliant, mate. But in a bit, I'm just going to uh, tell everyone who's coming on on Thursday. Um, on Thursday, we've got my dad, Bob Dillon, who's a GB boxing coach, coming on. But to, uh, on Thursday, he's not going to be talking about boxing as he, he has before, and he's had two episodes. He's going to be talking about his own uh, anxieties. And when I lost my vision um, at three years three years old, through viral meningitis, how that affected him, and when his mom died of cancer and his dad had Parkinson's disease. So we're going to be talking about what's actually behind the, the mask of Bob Dylan in your face, bravest man in the room. And we're going to be talking about some of the things he's come through. So before we leave, Stu, have you got any quotes or sayings that's helped you get through? You preempted me on this one, so I'm going to pull it up. This is actually... we. On Facebook, on the Facebook page, we post sort of positivity and self-help and stuff like that every day. And this is something I posted the other day and it, it, it sort of hit home to me. Um, be somebody who makes everybody feel like a somebody. So whatever you do in the day, just do something nice. To, and you don't know, it's the, it's the old butterfly effect. You do that one tiny little gesture of dropping a text to somebody or smiling at someone in the street. Um, and you don't know the positive effect that could have on their day. Well, once again, bro, well done and for all the brilliant things you're doing. So we'll see everyone on Thursday, hopefully. So take care of yourselves and each other. Ta-ra, see you later. Listen, listen, listen. And that's a wrap for another show. But if there are any comments or messages that you'd like us to read out for our next podcast, please be in touch. There are also lots of different organisations at the bottom of this page and hopefully they can help you or someone you care about. Please share this to spread the word. Until we talk next time, 
Trollbit. Listen, listen, listen.